Okay, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm here with my friend uh, Kansha. <laughs> we've met after a very long time thanks to the pandemic. And we're here to discuss, well basically we'll see where this conversation leads us. And Akanksha, why don't you introduce yourself? Absolutely, Arjun. So, my name is Akanksha. I am a water sanitation and hygiene policy analyst. I've been working in the development sector for four years now. And I have a lot of grassroots level experience in terms of water security, designing the water security plans, going to the villages and working on their transboundary water governance issues, uh, seeing the different water pollution challenges that they are facing in terms of both bacteriological and chemical contamination. Uh, I've worked a lot around sanitation as well, around uh, Swachh Bharat Mission particularly, seeing how the government is making the toilets and uh, are they good quality toilets, are they actually being used. And hygiene would be uh, primarily menstrual hygiene management. So these are my key areas where I've worked so far. Okay, so over the past uh, few years, you have mentioned some of your experiences from these uh, visits of yours that you said. Can you can you tell us something about that? Let's begin there. Start from the rural areas. What have you witnessed? Okay, so it's always a delight to visit the rural areas because it's it's very calm and they have their issues, but somehow they figured out a way to solve them, mm-hmm. and they're not complaining. So, but these issues, you mean they're solved uh, by the people themselves or by, has the government stepped in to do something like uh, that? To an extent, yes. The government has provided them with the basic necessities that they need. But still, um, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. So if there's a well and the entire village is dependent on the well, but if a cat falls in the well and she dies, then that water is contaminated. Mm-hmm. So in order for us or for them for that matter to look for another source, that is going to take time. So that's where source sustainability gets hindered. So there's a lag there, like for the government to come and then, you know, introduce measures so that the people get water. Or I'll give you another example. For instance, you have a hand pump there. So basically what happens in these areas is that uh, groundwater dependence is extremely Mm -hmm. high. Surface water, not so much because A, it's very polluted. B, it's more expensive. Okay to uh, treat surface water. Groundwater, because it's already been protected by so many layers of the earth, usually, uh, you know, you go to the second strata, you extract the water from there for drinking purposes. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a much cleaner and more dependable version of having water readily. Um, so what you do there is that if, if at all you come across uh, a hand pump there and you test it and you see that there's a lot of, uh, let's say, fluoride contamination in, in it, um, you simply mark the hand pump red. Mm-hmm. Okay, that means that people are not supposed to use it. Many a times, people don't understand what that means. They still continue to use it, and uh, so this is where community sensitization comes into play. So we need to make people aware that this is what it means. You're not supposed to use it. Why? Because this will lead to dental fluorosis, and then dental fluorosis is basically a line on your teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It's an indicator. It's a proxy indicator for an uh, for a person suffering from dental fluorosis. You just look at the teeth, and it's very easily, you know, identifiable. But at at this point, it's it's already too late, isn't it? Like in terms of testing the groundwater or the water which is actually coming to mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. at at the grassroots level. What are the measures which are available for testing for these things? Are they is there tech available? Is there how's the accessibility to these things like? Absolutely. That's a very interesting question. So basically every state 
has laboratories, uh, the water testing labs at three levels. So mm -hmm. that it will be at the sub-district level or the block level. One would be at the district level and one would be at the state level. Mm -hmm. So at the block level, you would have... Uh, there's a lab, there are lab chemists, there are technicians, everybody, uh, but the capacity is limited. Okay, so we don't have that much of capacity as much as the sources that we need to test. And the sources need to be tested twice a year for bacteriological contamination, one pre-monsoon, one post-monsoon, and once for chemical contamination. Mm -hmm. So the mechanism is in place. Uh, only thing is that you need to get the labs NABL accredited so there's like a certificate of accreditation that it's a great lab you know the testing and everything it's up to up to mark and the equipments and instruments are taken care of stuff like that so that is something where India I would say needs to step up in terms of the accreditation also in terms of the human resources so when you talk directly to the lab chemists you realize that there are very few of them there are too many sources and they have a target mm -hmm. each month so they have for annually, uh, the target is 3,000 sources, like samples per uh, per lab. I think I'm not really, like just at, off the top of my head, this is the data that I remember. So it's very difficult for them to do okay. the testing. And think about the current situation of the pandemic, wherein people in the villages are not allowing anybody else to come inside mm -hmm. their village to test water or anything for that matter. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. Now, in if this con in such a condition, there's an epidemic of, let's say, hepatitis A or E, that becomes a very big problem because A, we don't have enough data because we can't reach out to you. And B, even if there is an epidemic, we can't again reach out to you in terms of the uh, stuff mitigation measures that you're supposed to take. So that becomes That's true. I think this this pandemic has caught a lot of us off guard. I mean, there are, yes. there are everybody's had to uh, basically improvise and come up with solutions for problems that never existed before. True. But let's, let's talk about the things that you mentioned about, uh, let's say, hepatitis A and E. Now, that requires a sterilization of a very uh, high grade, let's say, to make yes. the water portable again. And India being such a large country and the the infrastructure, I would say, is, is uh, you know, focused on certain areas, but it, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, widespread. So how do you, uh, how do you enable that in a, in a country like India? It's such a, such a small uh, scale, you know. You know, if I give you the exact solution to it, you'll laugh. Tell but <laughs> the true solution is that you boil the water. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing that the minute water starts boiling, the bacteria and the viruses are taken care of. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's limited information about this. So people get, uh, so when you ask somebody who's bringing water from a hand pump, let's say, and I've, I've had this conversation with people so many times. So I'd see a woman carrying a matka full of water and I'll ask her that, uh, so what are you going to do next with this? So she's like, I've saved it already. Okay. That's it. So that is where the filtration, as per them, sieving is like removing the big particles from Basically, it. That's yeah. it. It's That's just, it. It's just plain filtration. Plain filtration at the most basic level. They sieve it, they put it, and it's good for them. So again, that saying the same thing being said. Like out here, uh, you have the municipality. You open your taps. We still don't trust the water, mm -hmm. so we need a filter. Yeah. Many a times, if you test the TDS and if you test for like basic parameters, you take uh, NH2S vial, it's mm -hmm. a bacteriological vial, testing vial. The water turns black, that means that uh, it has fecal contamination in it. Mm -hmm. And the biggest problem that I am facing in terms of bacteriological contamination is that people think that 
if it is bacteriologically contaminated it's just bacteriologically contaminated there is a fair chance that it has viruses as well mm-hmm. that come from fecal contamination so oh. that is an aspect that is massively overlooked by the entire system mm-hmm. so you can't generalize that uh, just because a water shows negative on bacteriological contamination that means it's safe for consumption viruses are going to be there hepatitis a eu name n number of other viruses that are known to uh, impact the gastrointestinal system they are there so you need to i think the focus needs to be on both bacteria as well as viruses and not just bacteria just because it's an easy indicator test Right now, we've developed the antigen and antibody test, which just immediately gives you the result. Why can't we have the same thing for viruses? That's true. In water. Yeah. Now, uh, sticking to the uh, the in question about infrastructure, mm-hmm. you have spent some time uh, outside India as well, a significant amount of time spent in Bristol yes, as well. Yes, yes. And I know UK is a much developed country, and it's it had a way and big of a you know very big head start compared to us Indians. Mm-hmm. Compare that. Uh, level of infrastructure to where India is right now. And I mean, I'm sure India is uh, catching up. Mm. We're obviously always playing catching up. But compared to that level, where do we stand? First thing, first, it's a wrong comparison. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. Because uh, two totally different countries, different population densities, different cultures, different way of handling things. Mm-hmm. Everything is different. So they don't have the problem of overpopulation that we have. Right. So when they design a system, whatever infrastructure they have designed, it's very well suited to the X number of people there. But here, whenever we are take, doing the population density, whenever we are designing something, uh, there are so many additional factors that we need to take into consideration in terms of a population boom that might happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure, like considering the lockdown, we. we will be expecting many more kids on the way <laughs> mm-hmm. so okay. those little attributes that's why i would never compare their infrastructure with ours because we have a different issue altogether there's no comparison so um a i wouldn't compare b they have done exceedingly well for themselves because it's a very systemized system they have a very strong grievance redressal mechanism in place so if you have a problem there's a helpline number you call it get solved i'm not saying that india does not have Mm-hmm. India has the same mechanism as well, and it's pretty strong. But again, it's it's in silos. So some states might be having an extremely good GVR, uh, the others might not. Okay. So the mechanism is getting there. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect would be in terms of uh, non-revenue water. Now, what is non-revenue water? It is the water that uh, because of the leakages, it just does not reach. Uh, so, like I'd say. around 40 to 50% of the water that we produce is lost in leakages mm-hmm. that's a huge amount so they don't have those kind of problems or even if they do so they've tried to minimize it to an extent like i'd say there the, the same data for them would be 30% or 25% for us it is higher as high as 40 to 50% so nrw non revenue water is something that we need to look at mm-hmm. we need to minimize those losses sensor based technology iot internet of things is there it's just about implementing those things in the existing systems to make sure that good quality water enters the system good quality water leaves the system and just reaches the place it's supposed to reach okay let's let's stick with the uh, accessibility and i remember reading about a case sometime uh, last year about chennai having a severe drought mm-hmm. now i work at sea and we've talked about this in the past where we have we produce our own fresh water we don't take fresh water from ports and believe it or not the water we get from the ports is worse than what we make on board we use a simple desalination yeah. plant where we boil the water boil yeah. sea water regular sea water yeah. at a lower pressure 
collect the vapors condense it mineralize yeah. it and then it's mm. good to go and yeah. it's it's purer than your dis- than your distillery water mm. or uh, i mean i don't want to name brands but yeah. your packaged mineral water basically mm. so india having such a massive massive coastline why has desalination not uh, picked up in india what, what do you think what's happened there it's a very expensive process you know i mm-hmm. know you have the technology but when you when you actually look at a high population or you know when you're looking at to cater to people of again so it it just it wouldn't work oh, that's the thing the, the the plant we had on board was capable of making 40 tons of water per day hmm. assuming the consumption of a regular household in india is 135 lbct precisely okay urban yeah yeah so that's one plant alone yeah. running for 24 hours a day can cater to a lot of people and if it goes few if this one plant goes to a rural area let's hmm. say a remote village in odisha which is already on the coast you don't need an extra pipeline extra whatever yeah if you set up a desalination plant it will solve a lot of problems there okay so this is something that hurt from so many people mm-hmm. but some i would like to just say here that uh, the reject that is coming from your desalination plant it needs to be treated and handled in a very advanced way because it's extremely concentrated in terms of the brine brine yeah, absolutely brine yeah. so brine that is coming you can't inject it back because you're going to impact the groundwater it's going to cause groundwater salinity mm-hmm. if you release it back to the ocean that's also a problem i'm not very well aware of the problem but it the area where you release it it does impact the aquatic life mm-hmm. whatever is right so i i kept thinking why not desalination why not desalination it's a, it's extremely energy intensive extremely energy intensive b uh there is something called a uh, coastal aquifers uh, like underground aquifers so the coastal area of india the government right now is actually thinking about uh, channelizing the the good thing that come out of the coastal aquifer the coastal recharge uh, i am not very well aware of this technology so i wouldn't be able to talk much about it mm-hmm. but yes uh, making use of the coastal areas in terms of delivering water to the parched people is something that the government is looking at right now okay iit sure. particularly is doing a lot of work around it so, so i mean this this is, this is what i i uh, fail to understand because clearly the technology is there yeah, and we absolutely. have the means we just don't have i don't even know what we don't have we don't have the will the resources i don't know we have the technology it's just we somebody needs funds, to mm-hmm. like you correctly said we have the technology mm-hmm. the fund most of the times i've heard from people is like funding is a problem funding is not a problem government is extremely uh, good with uh, sending funds across to the states as and when they need it but the states have to prove that they have earned the funds in terms of the work that they've done so far mm-hmm. so it's not it's not a charity case the government needs to see uh, the deliverables in terms of their achievements which is done in the annual action plan which there are several plans that the states come up with on the basis of which the funds would be released so clearly funds is not a problem mm-hmm. i wouldn't say um will is a problem because uh, right now the approach that the government is adopting is uh, that they want the states to adopt best practices to reach the milestone that uh, jal jeevan mission has to reach by 2024 or rural, rural households need to be covered with fiber uh, water supply system in house so mm-hmm. functional household tap connection so with sbm uh, swachh bharat mission it was uh, ihhl in individual household latrine and now if it is fhdc so these fancy terms are what the government is aiming to look 
like have in place by so clearly funds is not a problem the will is not a problem because the states want to compete with each other so many states have uh, you know preponed their deadline from 2024 to 2021 2022 that's how active they are mm-hmm. um but with uh, as is with every system the minute you ask somebody to pay for water for a rural water supply system the mindset is that that why should i pay for it mm-hmm. it's a human right rightly so it's a human right but in order for such a big system to function you need to have the funds coming in for the operation and maintenance now government is not asking you to pay money for the construction mm-hmm. that is something that the government is looking at but when the onm comes into play for that onm so government basically wants to ensure that these people who are on the ground they can take care of their own systems community engagement community participation is being encouraged to the next level altogether so again that's not a problem okay. so now there is a problem clearly mm-hmm. because of which we are not reaching where we have reached um i'd say that uh, the level of awareness amongst people mm-hmm. in terms of treating water giving it the due dignity the due respect this is where science and technology has to come into the picture because somebody who's upstream if they throw anything into the water if they're injecting their industrial effluents into the water nobody really understands that somebody downstream is suffering because of it exactly. so i've had uh, people in kanpur uh, kanpur is a place with a lot of tanneries okay mm-hmm. so whenever they release their effluents into the water This somebody leather leather right yes, primary leather yes, right yes, okay absolutely so these tanneries they release their water and uh, with they don't treat it and people downstream are suffering from massive kidney failures they have skin issues all because there's a lot of chromium Mm-hmm. that is coming up from the water that these people are taking out so if you've seen erin brokovich yeah so there's a lot of i won't say hexavalent chromium but there's another i don't remember the type of chromium that's coming out but that's causing a lot of problems so accountability for actions is something that is missing polluter pays principle is hardly implemented mm-hmm. and uh, making people aware that they need to pay for a resource and that's for their own good moving on uh, so that they can take care of the entire system when the government and the public utilities just decides to take a back seat people need to manage their entire system so their ownership has to come from within that's true i agree with you i mean it's it's uh, public starts to pay attention to these things only when i think they start paying for it yeah. that's that's another thing yeah and it's it's not just about uh, and this is a little bit of research that i did on my own mm-hmm. it's not just about uh how you deal with water directly it's about how the choices you make when you buying stuff as well i mean i've heard a simple pair of pre-washed jeans uses uh, I, i can't remember the figure 30000 liters exactly 30000 liters it's washed some 14 times with different yeah. chemicals <laughs> and uh, something about the color indigo when that's you know put on jeans <laughs> and that uses so much water, water and water. It's, it's gone that this water is that water is uh, thrown away discarded and then you have to retreat it that's more money that's more, more expense more money more time more yeah energy. sticking on uh, accessibility and uh, focusing primarily on uh, the south of india mm. we are pretty much reliant on our rivers Absolutely. and our groundwater mm. so what else is there i mean some of these uh, terms that come to my mind are uh, rainwater harvesting i don't know if that's taken off at a scale where it is becoming sustainable resource in itself mm. another thing you hear is cloud seeding but there is not enough no. research about that no. what 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 are the options do we have okay 
So basically when you look at water, you look at it from four perspectives. So mm-hmm. there is surface water, which are the rivers, there is ground water, which is the aquifers down in the downstairs area, and then there's your rainwater. The fourth one is actually um I can't remember, but there are three these three particular aspects to water: surface water, groundwater, and rainwater. There's another one which I don't know. I I'm supposed to know this, but it's pretty <laughs> recent, it's pretty new to me as well. Anyway. So, in terms of surface water, what the government and what most of the people, the local heroes they're doing is that even if they get no help, they are recharging the rivers on their own. They're desilting it. They are uh, not selling per se, but they're using the river lining as manure. As like the silt is being used uh, to enhance the quality of the soil Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, there are people, there are local heroes who are actually coming up to do this thing. Okay, so surface water is something that people are also taking care of and river rejuvenation is a very important component for the government. But let's keep that aside, okay. Moving on to groundwater. Uh, The statistics are actually bewildering. So, there's, I'd say, out of all the groundwater that we're using, 89% is from off the top of my head, goes for agriculture. Rest is industrial and domestic put together. 89%? 89% is agriculture. Oh my God. And this okay. is the most recent data. Mm-hmm. Okay. So clearly, there is like, it's an, it's an imbalance. A lot of our water is going to agriculture, wherein there are smart ways to make sure that this water can be put to good use or the amount of water that we are using for agriculture needs to be reduced, stuff like that. So drip irrigation is there, micro irrigation. There are so many other things in in agriculture for irrigation that we can do. Mm-hmm. It is picking up, it's picking up slowly. So it's it's in bits and pieces. So for instance, there's a very famous farmer in Punjab, I don't recall his name, but he's been awarded recently, the World Water Award. So he allowed the government to... Uh, shoot off their pilot in his particular farm and he's seen a lot of improvement in terms of the water that he was using so the, the sensor based technology was used to ensure that there's drip irrigation in place and the amount of water that is using for his fields is really low there's good yield the quality of soil has improved the quality of his yield has improved mm-hmm. stuff like that so, but that is done in silos again it's not a major campaign mode has not taken place for mm-hmm. that so groundwater recharge is something that is very important because we're just taking it out and so there's a word called uh, groundwater development so it's a simple mathematical uh, equation it's just your groundwater development is the amount of groundwater that you are extracting upon the amount of groundwater uh, that you are recharging mm-hmm. okay so when that number is really big for instance I don't want to take names of states, but there are so many states who have a groundwater extraction of above 100%. So, mm-hmm. you're not recharging as much. So, that's an issue. Okay. So, those states particularly need to be focused upon. Why is it going above 100? Why are you not recharging as much as you are supposed to? And these are the states which are hell-bent on, uh, you know, producing maximum in terms of agriculture. There's a lot of irrigation happening in these states. So, these should be our focus points. Now, Groundwater, the problems I've already stated and the solution also. Now moving on to rainwater. So government has a program called Catch the Rain, where it falls, when it falls. Mm -hmm. It's pretty recent. Rainwater harvesting is now going to be started in the campaign mode throughout the country. And they they want people to adopt rainwater. So basically there are guidelines. There is a law in place that anybody with uh, more than I think 100 square meter area of rooftop needs to have a rainwater system insta- installed 
okay but several of the residential complexes are not abiding by it mm-hmm. uh, so what what will that require what do you what do you require to catch uh, rain basically what some kind of a reservoir that's about it isn't it not really so you mm-hmm. just need to have a clean terrace area that's it so because there are so many villages which use a sari mm-hmm. they just use bamboo sticks they tie a sari they allow water to percolate down in a bucket okay it's okay. as simple as that mm-hmm. you don't need fancy technology uh you need a good polythene sheet a clean polythene sheet over the top of your house you can if if you have it even if you don't you don't need the sheet so i was talking about thatched roofs houses mm-hmm. but out here in the urban areas you can simply allow water to percolate from a pipe just make sure that the uh, the terrace is clean mm-hmm. because that should not be a source of contamination Understood. clean water there should be no paint there are guidelines in place so there should be no paint no dirt anything because we are going to ultimately recharge the ground water from that so again the, if if it's that simple obviously the the obvious question here is why hasn't it caught on and why aren't people more enthusiastic about this thing i mean we all see the news we all seen the the number of uh, droughts that have happened all over the country mm-hmm. we've talked about the water table of delhi in itself and how it's uh, reducing rapidly mm-hmm. and we have not done anything to replenish it yeah. if it's such a simple solution why has it not uh, caught on as much so basically the biggest problem about this is that groundwater is such an invisible resource oh yeah there you go yeah so <laughs> okay. uh, when you can't see it you don't feel for it mm-hmm. you don't care about it you feel that it's going to come up eventually it's going to be pumped out but you know what happens when you start pumping out uh, water which is full of sand because oh, yeah. there's not too much of water left in the groundwater table and i'll give you a very good example this happened recently uh, a friend of mine his barber uh, had moved back to his village due to the pandemic and there was no water mm-hmm. in his household hand pump so he trusted somebody and he asked them to dig deeper dig deeper for the water now what this person did was uh, he kept digging deeper and the more water they pumped out it was water with a lot of uh, sand in it kept coming kept coming so what this person did the person who was digging the uh, hand pump deeper for him he said that why don't you do one thing you leave the tap running and you know you leave the hand pump running it's fine let the water come out mm-hmm. okay so he allowed the water to come out now this water seeped into his house and it caused the world to collapse okay and that person who was digging the hand pump for him was nowhere to be seen he knew what he was doing was wrong so basically what happens is that when you dig out everything when you remove that pressure of water the sand the earth begins to fall mm-hmm. begins to drop yeah now my biggest concern is this has happened at point a let's say what's to stop it from happening at point b or c and then the entire village would collapse not even understanding what went wrong so i'll, I'll uh, give you an example and this yeah. is not uh, something which is only restricted to uh, rural areas mm. i'm sure you know about this mexico city comes to my mind yeah. mexico the entire works. mexico city was built on a lake or a dried up lake or something okay eventually i mean the city flourished and mm. whatever had civilization expanded they relied entirely on groundwater to an extent where now if you go and see the buildings the rivers the pathways you can see them physically visibly drop and yeah. you can you can google this it's it's all there oh my god i the, didn't know this the water table of mexico city is so low that the ground has physically shrunk you know it exactly. has gone all the way down and i remember they have they have a monument somewhere in in uh, mexico city which uh, they've erected in uh, like the town square and it said 
the top of that monument is mm-hmm. where the water used to be way back in the 1500s or 1400s or whatever hundreds oh. and now it's all the way down it's gone underwater and that water has now disappeared and now the town is physically sinking, sinking. yeah you know so that's that's something that uh, will eventually happen i guess anyway coming back from uh, mexico city let's talk about sanitation now we <laughs> talked about uh, water access to water let's go to sanitation so uh, in your uh, travels how how's what how's your experience been what have you witnessed okay so one thing that i would totally like to give to the government points for is that most of the villages are visited everybody has a toilet okay that's very good functionality usage is something that i'm yet to discover for myself from whatever i've seen is that um, using a toilet is a behavior change okay mm-hmm. so for instance for us to use a mask nowadays how careful are we about it we, we tend to throw our masks anywhere everywhere but we know that we have to use it but we're not very actively proactively using it so that's a behavior change that we as individuals have to incorporate now similarly for them if for generations they've been taking a dump outside they would not want to use a toilet they would be claustrophobic plus there's accessibility to water which is a very important thing um so for a poor flush system you need much more water as opposed to a small lota that you have a small mm-hmm. uh, what would a lota be called in english right i have no idea yeah so a small, small mug let's mug. say yeah, mug full of water mm-hmm. yeah so that's the thing so for them that's added effort mm-hmm. to bring more water for the flushing system so that is something that they need to calculate and they they need to bring more water for that so toilets are there mm-hmm. they're not being used to as much as we want them to use so sometimes i see them using it as a storeroom Oh yeah they take bath in it when they're not supposed to because uh, most of these toilets are built on twin leach pit technologies mm-hmm. and the more water you add to it it, it you know it, it's uh, it, there's a fair chance that it leaches to the ground okay. it's not built it's supposed to leach to the ground as well the water is supposed to leach to the ground but you can't keep on adding water to it mm-hmm. okay so it just fills up really quickly okay so how is how is the i mean obviously you can't just build an infrastructure and expect people to start using it how is the education bit how the the outreach to people and the encouragement from the government bit so to far to actually stop and change these old uh, practices and adopt these newer more hygienic uh, practices how how's that been so i would say that government is proactively looking at spreading awareness about uh, community usage of toilets the mm-hmm. importance of toilets there are community toilets as well in places public toilets not so much but community toilets some people if you don't have a toilet of your own and for some reason you can feel free to use that toilet so government is trying to make sure that there are toilets available in terms of infrastructure mm-hmm. now let's talk about the soft skills okay the software is actually making people aware of this so there are several campaigns now these are iec information education communication campaigns that the government is running at places but still um i say that people will do it when they want to do it okay mm-hmm. sensitization is something is not a day long thing doesn't happen in a day it's a long process it will take a lot of time and um, so i'll give you an example from what i've heard from women in the villages they say that uh, they prefer to use the toilets only at night and not during the day because it, they feel it's safe to use the toilet at night mm-hmm. in terms of their own safety so they don't have to go like for a partisans and they save that water in di- like during the day for using the toilet only at night so they want the safety that comes along with the toilet mm-hmm. but um, again the water 
that plays a very big role like getting the water again and again for using a toilet stuff like that so they don't that that is that is that is very interesting and I I don't think you hear this uh, in the news. I mean you have to actually be there to listen yeah. to these anecdotes. So that's why I thought having you on the podcast is a very good idea. Okay, yeah. so I think we've covered uh, pretty much everything. And I I'm going to start a new thing where I would recommend I would have my guests recommend something that they would want somebody to read or maybe watch on Netflix or some some kind of a recommendation maybe. Let's uh, about something that we discussed about today. What is something that people can read to be more uh, informed about uh, these issues that we are facing today? So one movie that I recommend everybody to watch is Erin Brockovich because trust me, the way she brings out the problem of uh, water pollution of industries actually polluting your water sources so much that you don't even realize what you're drinking. Mm-hmm. So that that actually that was a big motivating factor for me to join, uh, like to join. An NGO or INGO government, I don't want to name it, but mm-hmm. yeah. And apart from that, um, so the government has a lot of these webinars these days because they're proactively looking at motivating people to save water. So, uh, Water Digest on Facebook is a page that you can start following mm-hmm. or even start following the Jal Jeevan Mission, for instance, because they have a lot of good practices there. They keep on uploading on the Facebook page. So, that that for me nowadays is like instantly if I want to know something I just go there and I find the webinar so it's interesting to see uh, people from the government actually telling you the exact data that you're supposed to know and it comes from the horse's mouth so it's very reliable so they've done their research you Mm -hmm. can rely on that and also there are so many public domains on which the data is available so I'd say that start from uh, these platforms where the government is actually talking about the problems proactively mm-hmm. and they're not shy in accepting where the problems are. They just need support from the people and their own government departments, the state departments, for instance, to see the problem for what it is and to acknowledge that there's a problem and work towards it. So apart from that, in terms of books on water, um, I don't read books, okay? I do a lot of journal researching. Mm-hmm. So I read journal papers. So right now my current interest is viruses in water. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading a lot around that area. Uh, but I would not be the right person somehow to suggest anything. Understood, understood. Water. So just the one last question. I know I've picked your brain a lot this no, afternoon. Okay. Just Go one ahead. last question that has just come to me. Mm-hmm. This this medium that we're recording on, a podcast, obviously it's, it's a very limited uh, kind of an outreach. I mm-hmm. mean, people know about them, but not a lot of people listen to podcasts. They would prefer watching... Uh, mindless YouTube videos and stuff. <laughs> so and talking about a problem that we're talking about today water issues eventually this is going to become the prime focus in the next few decades Absolutely. how do we encourage our audience here to become like you said to adapt a behavioral change you know like wearing a mask or yeah. using a public toilet how do we uh, encourage the people who will listen to actually listen to this podcast how do we encourage them to be more proactive in their approach towards uh, you know water conservation I can talk from my personal experience so this happened recently okay so um, I went to take a bath and there was no water and I stay in a very posh area okay so there is supposed to be water at all times and I switched on the tap and there was no water so I in that very moment despite being a water manager despite knowing that there's probably some uh, flaw like somebody's probably switched off our pump or something so I need to talk about it stuff. In that moment, I imagined what my life is going to be mm-hmm. if this water didn't come for two days and then three days and then four days. So 
you hold on to that moment and you just you know you actually feel it for yourself that what are you going to do next so that is going to create a sense of urgency that is going to make me think that oh my god this can happen and this will happen so to each his own but this is what really impacted me currently that situation that i was in i wanted to take a bath but i didn't have water mm-hmm. and i i feel privileged that i just have to switch on a tap but there are so many people because of us pumping out all their water they don't get water downstream right so it's important to live their life just for a day i i completely agree with you i think unless somebody actually faces this problem first time they will yeah. not they will not be able to visualize it they will not understand the importance of this issue yeah. they will not actually do anything about it absolutely excellent and excellent. just one last thing so yeah. like the government has this uh, thing we on the earth or there's something we switch off the lights for one hour right mm-hmm. switch off the water for one hour for everybody Mm-hmm. and then you see what changes <laughs> honestly i'm telling you. you that is a very is a very i think that's what the people need a rude awakening a is rude what they awakening yeah. absolutely yeah. just switch it off for one hour just one hour okay and then you see what happens to every household in the city to every rural area pretty they're pretty okay with it because they have found a way to live with it mm-hmm. urban areas you do for just one hour of earth hour you have a water hour just want to switch off the mains completely agree that's with it. you there i think that's what we need akansha thank you so much for being here with us <laughs> it was it was an enlightening conversation and i think i have learned a lot hearing all these uh, you know insight because you physically been there and yeah. i mean i don't know how many of us actually go out and i mean we do travel and stuff <laughs> but who goes and visits a village for their sanitation i don't think anyone does that <laughs> i love going So thank you so much for being here and i hope you had a good time talking i with had us. a great time the question was so intelligent <laughs> i'll think about the fourth water which i'm forgetting so we, we always talk about three waters like mm-hmm. surface water ground water and rain water i there's another water never mind we Maybe will be google it i'm sure our audience can google it thank you so much for being here on the two bros podcast we will definitely want to have you back with more discussion i would discussion. love to be back yeah. all right take care take care you too